Welcome to Alec Across the States. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. Today we're going to be discussing the road to higher taxes. That phrase probably sounds familiar if you're a fan of Hyatt, the road to serfdom. Joining me to discuss this is Stephen D. Hayner. He's the Senior Fellow for State and Local Taxes at the Thomas Jefferson Institute for Public Policy. Stephen, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. And also two experts from ALEC. First, the Legislative Manager in the Center for State Fiscal Reform, Skip Estes. Skip, thanks so much for calling into the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And our Executive Vice President for Policy and Vice President of the Center for State Fiscal Reform, Jonathan Williams. Jonathan, thank you so much for calling into this great discussion today. Thanks, Dan. It's a really important discussion ahead of us. Of course. So, Steve, just to get our listeners a little bit on board um, with what we're talking about today, what is the road to higher taxes? Is there a timeline? What's going on here? Connect the road to higher taxes with our policy wonky audience that is probably reading Hayek and knows about the road to serfdom. Well, before Hayek, there was also uh, the road to Richmond, which was uh, the great battleground of the Civil War. Oh, wait a minute, the late unpleasantness. What do we call it now? It's it's a new world. Uh, anyway, the uh, the 2020 session of the Virginia General Assembly uh, passed an amazing array of large and small and open and hidden tax increases on the people of Virginia. And uh, no mainstream media outlet had made any effort to try and sort of keep track of all of it, list all the bills, list their effective date. Quite a few of them go into effect uh, on July 1st, which is just now uh, seven days away. And and once the list was sort of compiled, it was like kind of overwhelming. I mean, I mean it's, it's 20 some bullet points uh, and it covers virtually the entire state economy. So we thought we put it out there as a brochure and put it out there in a couple of blog posts and, and uh, make sure people understood what was about to happen. And it was all going on, too, just as sort of the pandemic hit. So so it's sort of been pushed off the front pages by uh, several items. But it's, you know, I think next week people will start seeing some of these taxes go into effect. Yeah. So this takes a close look at Virginia, correct, and, and some recent tax proposals, tax increases that are spread out over time. So what do these tax increases mean or are they going to harm the economy? What are its relationship with the economy? Well, I think in general economic theory, there's no question they're going to harm the economy. Of course, you've got an economy now that is suffering already. Uh, so I think they're, they're sort of layering on harm. One of the biggest involves transportation, major increase in the gas tax, some new regional gas taxes, and it's a three-step increase. It increases this July, and then another increase next July. And then in July of 22, it starts going into an automated indexing situation where the gas tax will just go up with inflation. So I do think, I do think higher transportation taxes has a depressive effect on the economy. Uh, it's, it's, you know, cigarette taxes, amusement taxes, meals taxes. In general, it's going to be pulling a lot of money out of people's pockets at a time when, uh, when they don't have a lot of money to pull out. So at a time when we're trying to re- reinstate uh, some economic activity. So from what I understand, at the beginning of the year, Virginia had what is called a taxpayer relief fund. Before we get into, you know, recent uh, news or, you know, an important discussion on that, Skip and Jonathan, can you talk to our listeners about what a taxpayer relief fund is just in general and maybe a little bit about how it has worked in Virginia? Yeah, so the taxpayer relief fund was a uh, special fund that was set up by the General Assembly as they conform to the federal tax changes during the 
the 2019 legislative session. And what they had to do was because the federal tax changes made during the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act on the tail end of 2017, uh, a lot of states automatically conform to a lot of federal tax policy. So as federal tax policy changes, state tax policy must change as well. And what would happen is because there were a lot of, in, in tax economics, we discussed these policies, broadly speaking, as base broadening provisions. What that means is that you're putting more taxable income, more economic economic activity under the tax code. So that means if you broaden the tax base, that is an effective tax increase. You're collecting more tax dollars from the economy. So what happened in the, in the federal tax changes is they broadened the tax base while also cutting rates to deliver a net tax cut for federal taxpayers. What happens in state tax policy is when they automatically conform to these federal base broadening provisions, what that leads to is a net tax increase if they don't simultaneously pass tax cut legislation. So what the tax code relief fund was supposed to do was collect this unregislated tax increase resulting from federal tax conformity, put it into a special state fund that was meant to fund future tax cuts and result in a net tax cut or hold taxpayers completely harmless from federal tax changes that were would result in a unlegislated tax increase on Virginia taxpayers. So where do we go next? Where do these unlegislated tax increases go? What are the next steps? What should be on the mind of people who are concerned when they hear that sort of story? First off, sadly, these are not unlegislated. I mean, these were these were decisions made by the legislature, voted on on the floor, uh, and in many cases with bipartisan support. So, I mean, I think the number one thing people need to do is be aware and to speak to their individual senator, speak to their individual delegate. Uh, you know, if they get a shot at talking to the governor, talk to the governor, because, you know, again, having been in the legislative process in Virginia now for going on four decades, uh, you know, there's no question that they are more responsive to public pressure than most people realize. And uh, if they hear nothing, they assume nobody cares. So, you know, the, the taxpayer relief fund was a very popular idea when it passed. Everybody realized the state was raking in hundreds of millions of dollars, perhaps billions of dollars over time from the federal changes. And the governor, you know, promised that he would take that money and do something useful with it, use it to cut taxes in some manner. And that promise lasted for, oh, I don't know, maybe six months. And his first budget comes out in December of 2019, the 2020 budget, and boom, it's gone. He'd spent every dime of it. So that's uh, basically because I don't think people had really figured it out, had really latched onto the idea and uh, didn't realize there was a potential half a billion dollars a year in tax cuts that could have come their way. So Jonathan, for our listeners, one of our most important publications is called Rich States, Poor States. We'll link to it in the show notes of this podcast. Virginia hasn't been doing too well in our publication uh, on Rich States, Poor States. We rank uh, economic competitiveness, and they've gone from a top 10 state to now ranking 14th, and they are being chased out or in competition with neighboring states like Tennessee and North Carolina, and even states that typically in rich states, poor states have been indicated as not being competitive, my state of Michigan and Indiana, those states are outcompeting Virginia. Jonathan, as the rich states, poor states soothsayer, what's happening in Virginia? What are they doing with their economic policy that's causing this decline? Well, that's a great question. And uh, the, the really... It's a sad story of what's happened in Virginia. And as a Virginia taxpayer, I know it's going to come back to bite a lot of us uh, because of the overspending enrichment 
because of the backtrack on the promises that was alluded to with the taxpayer relief fund. Uh, you know, those saw the posture dramatically change from uh, when Delegate Tim Hugo, a former delegate here in Northern Virginia and ALEC member, worked hard to at least give taxpayers some money back in terms of the checks that they saw. Uh, and then, of course, the taxpayer relief fund that was promised to now what has been outlined by Stephen and Skip as to just this road to higher taxes. Uh, it's been a really disturbing turn of events for Virginia. And that is on top of kind of the overlying you know, trend that we've outlined in rich states, poor states that you talked about there, Dan, moving the state has deteriorated from number three in economic outlook, which is measured by our 15 equally weighted factors on taxes and regulation and labor policy, all the way down to 14th in the most current edition at richstatesportstates.org. And then uh, this is, I think it's important to note, this is before any of these tax increases that we've been talking about today have taken effect. So those are not considered yet in the rankings. And uh, so unfortunately, the news is not very positive here for the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I fully expect uh, that Virginia's ranking will continue to decline. And I think in some cases, before the recent change in maybe uh, philosophical perspective in Richmond that's happened, Virginia had really fallen behind in many cases just by standing still in the rankings. And as other states became much more competitive, Virginia was not cutting taxes and keeping up with states like North Carolina and Tennessee and many of the most competitive economies in the country, or have seen more than 30 states substantially cut taxes over the last five years. Virginia had not and had fallen behind, and that is before this massive wave of tax increases are going to hit taxpayers at the very worst time as part of this pandemic. So another thing that is really important in our rich states, poor states calculation is the right to work. We covered right to work and labor reform pretty intensely in a recent podcast with Vinnie Vernuccio. We were going to be linking to that podcast in the show notes as well. But essentially, for those who missed out on the podcast, the right to work means, at least in Justice Alito's words, you have to give affirmative consent before you are put into a public sector union. Before right to work laws uh, or before right to work in general, you could just be rolled in as a natural tacit facet to your job. What consequences would Virginia have if it turned into a non-right to work state? Because during the last session, the last legislative session, we saw this come pretty close. The House of Delegates approved a bill to remove the right to work status in Virginia. Uh, the votes were very close in the Senate, and at the end, the Senate did not actually vote directly on that bill. But I expect in 21 it will be back, and I expect in 21 Virginia may indeed stop being a right-to-work state. And while they did, they did not remove the right-to-work law, they have now in Virginia allowed public employee collective bargaining on a local level, not the state level, but a local level, and we expect that to start fairly quickly as well. And Dan, I mean, the cost that that would provide to uh, the Commonwealth's economic competitiveness would be massive. Uh, if this is one of the most important of our 15 variables. It's a yes or no variable in rich states, poor states. But we've seen this trend. Our home state of Michigan and many states across the country have moved to become right-to-work states because they know it's one of the very most important things a state can do that doesn't cost a dime in order to improve its economic competitiveness and private sector employment. And so talk about another shot to Virginia's 
economic competitiveness, that would be a horrible development for the Commonwealth. And I will say we have the tool on richstatesporestates.org that you can look at Virginia's page and then you can put in the hypothetical scenario that Virginia would repeal right to work. And we know for a fact that based on the current data, Virginia would fall from 14th in economic outlook to 20th just with that one change in law. So a tremendous loss in economic competitiveness uh, if they were to repeal right to work. You know, we also study, you know, cross-state policy changes. And for people who are in favor of this granting of local authority from the state to the localities with regards to public sector collective bargaining, uh, they should look to New Mexico as an example for how that policy can completely backfire. What happened in New Mexico was they approved local level right to work, similar to Virginia's policy. And what happened later, after 10 New Mexico counties had approved right to work for uh, employees in their counties, what happened after the fact was the New Mexico legislature came back behind, revoked the authority from those localities, and uh, completely revoked the ability of New Mexico localities to have control over their right to work policy. So, you know, a Virginia locality should not be fooled, but this is really only a temporary granting of authority. And what we may see is they force Virginia localities to become public sector collective bargaining localities. So we are coming a little bit to the end of our segment here on Alec Across the States. Before I close things out, I always like to give our guests a moment to talk to our listeners. Give them your final point, as I like to say sometimes. People who listen to Across the States are state legislators themselves, highly interested state policy wonks like my guests today, and just people who really care about state politics in general. That's your audience. So what would you want them to take home from today's conversation, Stephen, especially for you, the difference between, you know, your hyper-focus in Virginia? Um, what should state legislators either in Virginia or outside of Virginia remember? You know, it's uh, it's been an interesting few months. And uh, a year ago, Virginia had a Republican-controlled legislature, and now it doesn't. Uh, in my lifetime, I've seen governors come and go. I mean, the lesson I would give to legislators, and, and, and the good ones know this, it can turn on a dime. I mean, Virginia, as radical as the change was in the uh, legislative session, then you had the COVID pandemic. And now since the murder of George Floyd, uh, you've had the reaction there. And, uh, and uh, I think Richmond was, is probably, the last time Richmond looked like this, uh, troops wore blue and Lincoln was president. You don't go downtown Richmond right now. You're not not uh, it's a war zone. So I think the important thing is uh, it turns on a dime and the things we take for granted, the things that we, that we hold dear, you can lose them real fast. And I think that's a lesson for the entire United States of America. And Dan, I would just add um, from my perspective, I think broadly speaking, Virginia is an essential, but it's a cautionary tale of what can happen in a state that gets complacent in a very competitive region Virginia, at least economically speaking, some would argue whether it's politically beneficial or not, depending on their party. But uh, Virginia's benefited from the growth of, of government. And unfortunately, that hides a lot of the weakness in Virginia's private sector economy. When you compare it to some of the most competitive states in America, like North Carolina, that's been a true leader and really the gold standard on tax reform in the top 10 of rich states, poor states, you have Tennessee, a no-income tax state in the top 10 of rich states, poor states. And all of a sudden, Virginia has clearly fallen behind by standing still. And now, of course, you have this political change of philosophy and now new taxes coming. 
but I think it is a very much a cautionary tale for those that think they can get away by not making important free market changes. Uh, unfortunately, it does catch up with a state like Virginia and North Carolina and Tennessee will be more prosperous for it. And Virginia will be less prosperous, unfortunately. Skip, what do you think people should remember? Yeah, I think Jonathan's exactly right with his point on the economic competitiveness of the region. You have uh, North Carolina and Tennessee that completely envelop the southern border of Virginia, in which there are very there are struggling communities like Danville and Bristol that are extremely close to those state borders. And one thing I always bring up to people when I'm talking to in Virginia about tax policy is take a look at Bristol. They have a street that goes right down the Tennessee and Virginia border. One side of state street the, has bright lights, has occupied shops, has um, vibrant business community, has vibrant restaurants, people live there. And the other side of State Street has broken windows, has vacant shops, has um, an excess of abandoned properties. And the abandoned property side is the Virginia side. The bright neon lit side is the Tennessee side. And uh, really that is a great microcosm of the competitiveness that happens around tax policy. You have a state like Tennessee that has a very competitive tax policy and they are running circles around uh, Virginia businesses that are trying to set up in the area. So I think that um, when the new majority, the new legislative majority in Richmond, uh, when their policies result in tax increases, higher gas prices, and higher energy costs, Virginia residents are going to be ones who are losing out on economic opportunities that are going to other states instead. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Alec Across the States. I've been your host, Dan Reynolds, and joining me to discuss... What is the road to higher taxes has been senior fellow for state and local taxes, Stephen D. Hayner at the Thomas Jefferson Institute for Public Policy in Virginia. Stephen, thank you so much. Thank you. And also joining me from ALEC, Skip Estes, legislative manager in the Center for State Fiscal Reform, and Jonathan Williams, vice president for the Center for State Fiscal Reform and executive vice president for policy at ALEC. Skip, Jonathan, thank you so much for calling in. Thanks again, Dan. And if you are interested in having your ideas discussed or featured on ALEC Across the States, do not hesitate to email us at acrossthestates at alec.org. And please do rate us. It helps us get seen by more audience members. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council.